There's an 18-year-old named Joe. And talking to his parents, he says, Mom and Dad, why do you make us turn off our phones, computer, from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m.? And leave them in the kitchen. Why? A girl by the name of Bonnie, a 17 year old, says, Dad, what are we going to do? You chose to resign your job because you refuse to be dishonest because you acknowledge Christ as Lord. What are we going to do? A church leader is being asked by a man in the church, a man by the name of Jim, who keeps up in cultural, political items in our country. And he says to the church leader, why? As a leader, don't you get on the bandwagon of many church leaders of fighting political and cultural issues to keep our country where it has been? Why? Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is writing to saints who are going through some persecution because of their trust in Christ. They're living with Christ as Lord He emphasizes their identity, who they are in Christ, how they're to live, how they're to respond as believers in general, as citizens, as husbands, as wives. And in verse 8, he exhorts them to be in harmony with one another, to be sympathetic, to be compassionate and humble. And then he says, don't repay evil and insult with evil and insult, but rather with blessing. And the reason you should do that is because you're going to inherit a blessing. And then he goes on to encourage them. He says, if you love life and want to see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears attending to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Then in verse 13, and we'll pick up with reading, 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God wanted or waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. 
In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. In verse 13, in light of the flow of verses 8 through 12, Peter raised the question, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And as we found last week, they may harm, but God is at work. But he goes on in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Those that were persecuting the people to whom Peter is writing apparently would use items that they were afraid of and directed them towards believers, thinking believers were afraid of the same items, such as death, death, loss of status in society, rejection. And Peter says, do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. And then he says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. As we reflect on verses 15 and 16, many times we read scripture and we think about me. How does this apply to me? And I'm not saying that is incorrect, but I think in doing that we miss how does this apply to local groups of believers? How does this passage apply to Roaring Brook? How does this passage apply to various churches in China? And think about that as we interact with the passage. Peter says, but. You may go through some persecution. Don't fear what they fear, but the action in your hearts. I think we're ahead of things here a little. All right. I see. No, we're not. In your hearts, the heart being the seed of feeling, tied in with affections, tied in with desire, intellect, or the mental frame. In your hearts, individually as a body, with our hearts, our affection with their mind, with their will, with their emotional desire. In the context, we're dealing with an inner choice, setting the direction of life. And then that being made so that we'll stand firm. The people to whom Peter is writing would stand firm when they use items directed against believers. Standing firm. Holy living in a foreign culture is lived from the inside out. For Peter's hearers, if they were going to live well, it had to begin in their heart. And I'm not talking the physical heart. Their seat, the seat of their emotions, their will, their mind, in your hearts. Think about these people to whom Peter is writing. 
or even us today, losing political power. Our country is not what it used to be as far as Judeo-Christian values. But in your heart, setting apart Christ as Lord. Holy living in a foreign culture is lived from the inside out. He addresses the people to whom he is writing as aliens, as strangers. You're not at home in this culture. You live in it. You want to have an impact. But in your hearts, he says, set apart. Set apart means to separate, to consecrate, to regard as holy. If you're going on a trip, you're not even a trip. You're going somewhere and you're not sure where to go. You hop in your car and you set your GPS. What's your GPS do? It gets you there. And Peter is saying, set apart. Set your spiritual GPS. And when you get off track along the way, it'll reroute you and get you to where you're to go. Set. Apart. Choose to set the course of your life one time in choices in daily living. So the saints to whom Peter is writing, set your heart, set your course. Christ is Lord. And as persecution comes, you've set the course of your life. Keep going. But it requires setting the course of life. To stay on track when difficulty comes. Set your heart. The Lord will keep on track if we're on track. The Lord will keep us on track if we're on track. Otherwise, he wants to get us on track. The saints to whom Peter is writing... Going through persecution, Peter says, set your hearts, set your course. Think about us as a church. No matter what is in our history or what may come in the future, are we set, determined in our hearts that Christ is Lord? If we're not on track, then God wants to bring people on track. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Christ. He's Messiah. He's a Savior. As Lord, Master, Adonai. Set apart Christ as Lord. Not government, not Caesar, and so fear, and so on. Set apart Christ as Lord. Why Christ is Lord in light of the flow of 1 Peter? Because God is extending great mercy and through Christ he's given new birth. Redemption, being bought out from slavery to sin. A chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why set apart Christ as Lord? Because he says in chapter 2, you're called to suffer. In chapter 3, he says it's your responsibility as wives, as husbands, as believers in general to live in obedience to God. Set apart Christ as Lord because Christ 
suffered. And you have the privilege of participating in his sufferings. Set apart Christ as Lord. It's interesting in the context he goes on. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Apparently, the unbelievers may potentially, <coughs> excuse me, potentially ask, why do you live the way you do? Why do you obey civil authority even when they're not kind to you? Wife, why do you follow your husband's leadership when he's not real gracious? Why do you as a husband consider your wife and study her and figure her out and treat her as a co-heir? And that's not what, our, what the culture does. There is a receptive audience. And I emphasize that. In the flow of 1 Peter, be prepared to give an answer. If you're going to give an answer, someone is asking a question. Apparently, people were asking, or going to ask, the people to whom Peter is writing, why do you live that way? That's significant. Very significant. Because many times, down through the pages of history, we try to create a receptive audience. We try to get an audience to listen. And here Peter says, you have a receptive audience audience asking you questions, wanting an answer because of the way you live. So when they ask, be ready. It would be like one of your neighbors coming to you and saying, Arden, you've been through some trials in life physically. You've lost some loved ones, but yet you're not bitter And you continue to rejoice. Why? Why? Why are you like that? Receptive audience. Scott goes to work. And a co-worker says, Scott, I've been watching you work. I observe how you respond to co-workers and how you respond to your boss. I've got a question for you. Why do you work hard? And why are you kind to coworkers even when they're not kind to you? And why do you have respect for your boss? Can you give me some feedback why you're like that? This is where Peter's coming from. Be ready to give an answer. The idea of answer is to defend or explain. When a charge is made, what is the charge? What is the reason for your hope? Why do you live differently? What is it about this hope you have something that's going on here? You don't fear death as we fear death. You don't fear persecution as we fear persecution. You don't fear being made fun of as we fear being made fun of. What's going on? Can you tell me? Be ready to give an answer. To everyone who asks you of the reason for the hope that you have. Think about us as a body. 
Are we living a hope? Does the community say Roaring Brook Baptist Church has a hope that we just can't explain and it shows up in their life? I wonder what it is. And they tap you on the shoulder and say, what's going on down there at Roaring Brook? Been observing you for years. Where's your hope? What's going on? Can you tell me? The hope that you have, an expectation concerning the future, in verses 1, 3 through 5, but expanding beyond that, a hope that would be tied in with redemption, being bought out from slavery to sin, a hope that ties in with salvation in chapter 1, 18 through 2, 3, a hope that's tied in with the fact that the body of Christ is a spiritual house. It says, Why? Why do you have this hope? Be ready to give an answer of the hope that you have. I want to give some practical examples that are applicable to the church that Peter is writing to, the believers Peter is writing to, as well as to us today. An example of an answer. Rejoicing in physical pain. And when I say rejoicing in physical pain, Scripture is not talking about jumping up, down for joy and say, oh, this is really great. He's talking about a settled mindset that accepts the trials that come with an expectation. Why? It shows genuine faith. It develops endurance. It builds character. But it reminds me there's a future coming. The saints are being persecuted to whom Peter is writing. They may be tortured. They may be rejected. And Peter says, you have a hope. There's something beyond this life. You go through physical trials. And you're not bitter and you're not angry and you're not demanding an instant fix even though you go to the doctor and do what you can. You're reminded that as you suffer, there's something different in the future. I've had many people tell me, going through my mind quite often over the years, Lord, I'm ready to go home. I've had enough. But until that time comes, we'll rejoice. Think about the church in China. Think about the church in Vietnam. Think about the church in a number of other countries where there's tremendous persecution and saints are rejoicing in that they're being persecuted. They have that privilege. Loss of money. Hebrews talks about the fact that some of the believers there had their property confiscated. We don't know if that happened to the people to whom Peter is writing, but loss of money. Someone loses their property because it's confiscated because they're a believer in Christ. They lose their retirement because they're a believer in Christ. That has happened in history. But yet the person has a hope. God will take care of me. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 of 1 Peter. Tied in with Matthew 6. And 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
I don't understand. You don't fear loss of things and money as we do. Why? How about death? Death is not something that we eagerly anticipate. We've never been through it before. Peter's hears, experiencing persecution. Death may come, but not a fear because there's a future inheritance. Chapter 1, 3 through 5. The whole issue of admitting sin. A husband goes to his wife in one of Peter's hears and says, Honey, I'm wrong. You know, I've come to Christ and I've been walking with God for a period of time. And I'm beginning to realize as I heard what Peter wrote, that I've not been very considerate of you as a weaker vessel. It's been about me and making sure you toe the line. I've not been treating you as an heir of the gracious gift of life. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Unbelievers. Many times we as believers don't like to admit we're wrong. Why are you willing? A neighbor says, why are you willing? I see you admit to your kids that you treated them incorrectly and responded incorrectly. Why? What do you have that I don't have? A willingness to go to jail, to be obedient for Christ. Harlem Popoff. Years ago, who was put in prison and persecuted to within seconds of death. They would have doctors present to know when to say stop. And then they would do what they had to to keep him living. Why are you willing to suffer like that, Harlem? Why would you go to jail? Because it shows genuine faith in my willingness to participate in Christ's sufferings. Peter says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone asking you the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. So there's a hope. There's an expectation. An application to today. I'm fearful that in Christianity today, to some extent, We're trying to create a receptive audience. We're trying to offer something that will bring someone in so that they're willing, or at least appear to be willing to listen. What can we do? And Peter says, what you can do is to have a hope that changes the way you live and people ask questions as to why you live the way you live. Why do you have a hope? Give me an answer for the reason. And that is, again, much different than trying to, re- trying, to re- trying to create a receptive audience. 
What can we do to get people to listen? Live well. We say some still won't listen. Okay. That's okay. Live well. Do we rejoice in physical pain or demand a fix? Do we welcome death, talk about it, or avoid it? Do we rejoice in declining health? Or do we man demand a fix? Are we depressed when the stock market crashes or goes down? Are we fearful of losing our jobs, thus we compromise our obedience to Christ to keep it? Do we fear admitting wrong, thus we withdraw or become defensive? Hope in 1 Peter is a term referring to the future aspect of salvation. For it is, we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. It is this very hope that separates and alienates Peter's hearers and us today from unbelievers, but invites a kind of conflict that Peter has in view. The hope in Christ should be understood not so much as a hope of an, as an individual believer, but as a body of believers, the body of Christ having a hope and expectation of the future. Peter's vision for how the Christian is to relate to even a hostile society is thought-provoking. He does not advocate withdrawal from society for safety or a hostile counterattack on society. Rather, he encourages faithful, godly living. Faith does not close doors to relationships when other people out of fear or hate respond. It turns rather into openness to others just as it turns to God. The Christian community may be a colony in a strange land, but we're not to live in isolation. We're to live in a world where we may be criticized For trusting in God rather than trying to change everything politically, even though we, I think it's wise to vote. We live in a world where we may be criticized for simply obeying God and saying, I will not lie on the job to keep my job. What's wrong with you? You crazy. We may be criticized for anticipating death, but not hastening it. We live in a world that is alien. We don't try to escape it. We don't run from it. We live in it with confidence in God. Joe, 18-year-old, asking his parents why phones are off. Got to be in the kitchen and so on from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., And dad and mom say, we're bombarded with information 24-7. We need time to step back and just to think. We need time to rest 
without any intrusions in our life. We need the 20, we need this Holy Spirit 24-7, but we don't need the other 24-7. We can live without it. And I've noticed, son, that you've been different the last week that we have been practicing this. Bonnie says, Dad, what are we going to do? You lost your job because you wouldn't be dishonest. Dad simply says, Bonnie, we're going to trust God. Christ as my Lord takes priority over keeping a job if I have to be dishonest. And then Bonnie says, Dad, you're creating a thirst in me. I want that kind of Savior. Jim says to a church leader, I don't understand. Why aren't you on the bandwagon of fighting cultural issues? keeping some of the values that we have. And the leader says, Jim, some people do that, and that's fine and well and good. But I've set my hope in the Lord. Christ is my Lord. And he has called me as a church leader to be devoted to the ministry of God's word, to prayer, and to equipping you to live well in the world. If you want to do something to change issues, you do it. But that's not my call. Christ is my Lord. I will minister scripture. I will pray for you. I will pray for the flock. And I will equip you to live well in our world. But I can't compromise those items. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason of the hope that you have. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the saints in the past that have lived well. It's our desire in the present to live well. We struggle, we battle. Sometimes we're tempted to throw in the towel and give up. But yet you hold us fast. You keep us on track. So in the world in which we live, we need wisdom and understanding to live with Christ as our Lord. And Father, may we live in such a way that when we are asked questions, we'll give an answer. Be able to explain in terms that people can understand why we live the way we do. May we work hard. May we study hard. May we live well in our homes. 
live well and relating to our neighbors. The life that you have given to us, may we live in a manner that reflects Christ as our Lord. Individually, as families, as the body of Christ. May we encourage one another and spur one another on and just come alongside and be a blessing to other believers as well as to unbelievers you bring into our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.